Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, and I cover national politics. And I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Today, we're talking water. This topic's really important. But time and time again, we have to keep reminding our readers and sometimes ourselves that this is a topic really worth discussing. We're joined by Ian James, who's an expert in the area of water, climate change, and the environment. He joined the Arizona Republican AZ Central almost a year ago. And Lake Mead is the biggest reservoir in the country. Right now, that reservoir is about 40% full and approaching a shortage level, the first shortage ever. Today, we're going to take you into Arizona's water history, its water wars, and kind of give you some insight as to what happens next. Ian, let's jump right in here. We live in a desert. What is the crisis with water here? Well, Arizona gets almost 40% of its water from the Colorado River. And this is a water source that has a lot of demands on it. And we draw that water from Lake Havasu, but it comes out of Lake Mead, passes over Hoover Dam before getting there. And Lake Mead is the biggest reservoir in the country. Right now, that reservoir is about 40% full and approaching a shortage level, the first shortage ever. What is included in that 40% that you referenced? Sure, the water from the Colorado River goes to agriculture in various parts of the state, from Yuma to the Colorado River Indian tribes, and it comes down the Central Arizona Project Canal, which, which runs for more than 300 miles from Lake Havasu all the way to Tucson, and along the way, it supplies the cities of Central Arizona, goes to pools, yards, uh, and all sorts of uses. And what's been happening is that looking back at tree ring records, this is one of the driest 19-year periods in the past thousand years. And on top of that, climate change and rising temperatures are exacerbating the drought. Now with Lake Mead approaching its first shortage ever and really hovering at that level, it's gotten to a point where decisions need to happen to change how the Colorado River is managed so that that reservoir doesn't keep dropping. And that's what everyone's talking about in Arizona water right now. So what are those conversations? Uh, who's having them and what are they trying to accomplish? Since about 2015, different water districts and officials in Arizona, California, and Nevada have been talking about what's called the Drought Contingency Plan. And this is a plan that involves taking less water out of Lake Mead to try to prevent the reservoir from falling to really disastrous levels, which would lead to cutbacks that would be greater and greater in uh, magnitude. And eventually, if that reservoir keeps dropping, it could eventually get to a point of Deadpool where water would no longer pass over Hoover Dam. So the purpose of this plan is to try to avert that kind of a worst case scenario. And it would involve the three states jointly agreeing to take less water out of the reservoir to try to prevent those worst case scenarios. And those um, other states are? California, Nevada, and Arizona. And so during the past eight months or so, there have been a lot of meetings and negotiations in Arizona about how would this plan work? How to divvy up the water cutbacks to make it workable? And that involves both uh, moving water between parties 
especially those that would need to receive some mitigation to make it work. So that's how it's described, mitigation water. There would also be some payments made. So the Gila River Indian community, as well as the Colorado River Indian tribes, would be contributing some water to make the plan work, and they in return would be receiving funds from the agency that manages the Central Arizona Project, as well as the state government. So can you just briefly describe the different stakeholders and interest groups that are having these conversations? Yes. Since July, Arizona's held a series of meetings of what's called the Steering Committee, and this involves representatives of cities, water districts, irrigation districts and farming areas, as well as tribes and business groups, uh, and some environmental NGOs. And these discussions have been focused on figuring out how to make Arizona's implementation plan, as they've called it, how to make that plan work within this larger three-state deal called the Drought Contingency Plan. You've identified a lot of uh, state and municipal level um, people who have a stake in this. We also run the risk of the federal government dictating what we do uh, on the waterfront as well, correct? That's right. The federal government has said that it wants to see this drought contingency plan finished by the states and initially set a deadline of January 31st for getting a deal done. Now, before that date, the Arizona legislature passed a package of legislation basically endorsing the plan, authorizing the director of the Department of Water Resources to sign it. There still are a number of side agreements that need to be signed to make the deal work. And also, Congress needs to approve legislation endorsing the deal as well. So there still are a few more steps that need to happen. But in the meantime, the federal government has made clear that they aren't going to wait, that they are starting a process of asking the seven Western governors whose states rely on the Colorado River for their recommendations as to what should be done to try to prevent Lake Mead from falling even further. And so that process has begun. And they will start taking input from the seven governors on March 4th. Now, the federal government has said that could be called off if the states finish everything, but it's increasingly looking like California and Arizona aren't going to be quite there before that date. So the federal government has played a role in Arizona's water allocation in the past. How did we get to today's conversations? So looking at the history of the Colorado River, we need to go back more than a century to the signing of the Colorado River Compact in 1922, which divvied up the river between the states. And then Arizona, starting in the 70s with the construction of the Central Arizona Project, because the construction of the Central Arizona Project was relatively recent, this supply of water is one of the lowest on the totem pole for taking water from the river. And therefore, puts Arizona among the most junior water rights holders. Whereas in California, you have the Imperial Irrigation District, which has the biggest share of water on the river and is some of the oldest water rights. Basically, the, the water cutbacks affect Arizona and Nevada first. That's the way it's supposed to work under the existing rules. The idea of negotiating a drought contingency plan is to have all three states contribute a bit more in order to prevent the reservoir from continuing to drop. So, Ian, you mentioned the 19 years of drought. That is just kind of staggering to think of something going on that long. That just feels like a crisis. Um, what has caused that? Is that climate change? What, what explains this? Well, it has been one of the driest periods in the last thousand years. 
And that seems kind of odd to say right now because it's raining and there's snow falling in the mountains. And the snowpack across the Colorado River Basin is actually not that bad this year. But looking out over the past two decades, it has been just extremely dry. And what climate change does, and this is widely shown in scientific research, is that the higher temperatures lead to less runoff ending up in the rivers. It evaporates more water off of the landscape and just takes an additional toll. So climate change has a, a role as a driver in terms of cranking up that drought just a bit more than it was already. So in Congress, at the state legislature, in conference boardrooms across the state, ag folks, chamber types, everyone seems to be really worried about the federal government coming in and uh, dictating what happens next. Can you give us a sense of why they're so um, afraid of that option and what are they going to have to do to prevent that from happening? Well, I would just say that I don't know that everyone is afraid about it. It seems like some people are a bit defiant as well and saying, you know, I have heard some of the top water officials saying that they think it, it, it didn't make sense for the federal government to step in and set an arbitrary deadline of March 4th and that they're doing the best they can to finish this deal. That said, I do think people don't really know what would happen if the federal government then comes in and says, okay, all of you seven governors, what do you think is best for us to do? It's really uncertain what might come out of that process. And there's a possibility for disagreements, legal fights. We don't really know. And we don't know how the federal government will respond if both California and Arizona are close to being done, but maybe not quite done on March 4th. So we will see a number of uncertain issues become clearer in these next few weeks. You uh, have talked about how this deal uh, has some urgency for getting it done by March 4th, for example. But this is really a short-term uh, patch just to get us to the next longer-term deal, right. isn't it? It is. It is a, a short-term stopgap deal. And everyone talks about that because what this deal would do is prevent Lake Mead from falling to even lower levels during the next six years until 2026. And the reason why is because that is when a new round of guidelines for managing the river need to be in place. And actually, the negotiations on that next round of rules needs to start in 2020. So we're almost at that point of even more difficult uh, more long-term discussions between the states and water districts to figure out how they can manage the water that is in the Colorado River. So we are drawing down and using more water than is being replenished. That's right. And it's often talked about as a structural deficit. It's a situation where more water is being taken out of the river than is there in an average year. And that's partly because when the law of the river, when these agreements were drawn up, nearly a century ago, dividing up the river, it was a much wetter period. And since then, it's been a drier period. And particularly since about 2000, the levels of the reservoirs have just been spiraling downward and downward. So this kind of also coincides with just the enormous amount of development uh, 
both urban development and agricultural development that we've seen. Right. So Maricopa County, according to the latest federal figures, shows that we're the fastest growing county in the country. We're also entrenched on a number of agricultural fronts, Ian. Um, so it seems like we have a lot of sort of competing interests and, and clashing uh, demographics here. Booming population um, and entrenched industry. It sounds like we need a bigger straw to suck this down rather than siphoning less. That's right. And I think there are various voices, various people who've been talking about a need for more conservation to be talked about as part of this whole process. Uh, this area is continuing to grow very rapidly, and that growth has happened on the back of agriculture over the years. So if, if we look at Arizona's total water use, about three quarters of it goes to farms, and the Phoenix, the expanding areas around Phoenix, all that growth has happened by converting farmland to urban development. And that's been possible because those subdivisions and shopping centers use less water than the farmland that was there before. So it works, but there are, I think, increasingly questions about how long that growth can continue outward and also about the agricultural water use, since it is such a big piece of how water is used in Arizona, how can agriculture change to become more sustainable in the long run? I think there, I've heard talk about the uh, the crop choices, you know, alfalfa and cotton, as well as can agricultural water use become more efficient and how to promote those technologies to do that. So very quickly, can you give us a sense of what part of Arizona, what part of the state would feel the effects first of a shortage? Sure. And I've been out reporting in Pinal County, talking with farmers there. That's where some of the biggest impacts of the drought contingency plan will be felt under a shortage because they are basically the, the end of the line of the end of the line in terms of the priorities and their position. And so what will happen under the drought contingency plan is if there's a shortage starting next year, as looks like it would be possible for that to happen, they would take a significant cutback in their Colorado River water supplies. And then after three years, that supply of Colorado River water, which they had expected to last until 2030, will go away completely and they will need to rely on groundwater. And the farmers there say that what that will mean is a significant hit to their economy. They will need to leave large portions of the farmland dry and fallow unplanted. And so that's why they are expecting an economic hit. So the agricultural impact sounds like it's fairly significant, but how many people does that really impact? How many growers are, are we really talking about here? Well, there was a University of Arizona study that looked at agriculture in Pinal County and said that there are about 900 individual growers in that area, many of whom are small farmers. There also are some quite big farmers, and they are growing crops that include cotton, alfalfa, wheat, as well as melons, even some roses for Home Depot. And once farmers fill the pinch, who comes next? Who feels it next? I don't know that anyone really knows right now. That'll depend on how things play out over the next couple of years. But also, 
what will happen is in cities, water rates will be going up. It has happened in Phoenix, and that is related to the drought contingency plan because as less water is flowing down the canal, that volume of water costs more. So Ian, what does all this mean for the future of our state, our families being able to live here in a sustainable way? Well, I've heard this whole drought contingency plan described as basically an initial step toward a climate adaptation plan, basically figuring out how this dry region can deal with there being less water in the Colorado River there to supply this area for the future. And so in that way, it may be a positive step if all of the states can get together and agree on how to take less water out of the river because there is only so much water to go around and it is likely to get more difficult as the years go by. So what can people like me and you and Taya, who's recording with us, and Ron, what can we do on an everyday basis? I know it's a small little part, but what can we do to not waste water? Quick tips. Well, I think there are many things that people can do to to save water on an individual basis, just being conscious about it. And if you're a golf course manager, maybe that means replacing some of your turf with desert landscaping. And if you are a farmer, maybe that means converting to more efficient water irrigation technology. There are just so many things. So it's hard to prescribe any individual uh, list of solutions. But I do also think that people getting more involved in knowing where their water comes from and speaking up about what they think about it is beneficial to the process. Well, Ian, this has been really informative. Um, Water is such a a very important subject, and it's easy to overlook. Like I said, on a daily basis, we tend not to think about it. It's just there, and we have to remember that it doesn't just happen. People have to think about that long-term future. So thank you for helping uh, guide our thoughts on this. And we look forward to having you back in the future to hear how this negotiation is, is playing itself out as well. Thank you very much. It's been great talking with you. Where can people follow your coverage uh, on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at by Ian James. Well, that's it for today. Follow Ian. He is a must read. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And you can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Gaggle listeners, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us with your thoughts and questions on Twitter using the hashtag TheGagglePod. We'll be sure to reply. And if you like the show, please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Your support is what makes it possible for us to do this show each week. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, Taya Francesca Price, Katie O'Connell, and Kayla White. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday.